Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Very nicely done, Annie. Praise the Lord. We have a lot of talent in this church. We're very, very thankful for you as a body. If you would please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You know, each time we, we complete a study through a book of the Bible, it, it begins to feel like saying goodbye to an old friend. It, uh, it really does. It, Ecclesiastes has been practical. It has been profitable. At times it has been emotional. Solomon has served us up a, a heaping helping of the Word of God, pure milk and solid food. The Apostle Peter said, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it, by it, the Word, you will grow in respect to salvation. Folks, we've grown in respect to salvation. Praise the Lord. And this growing is another term for sanctification. It's a maturing process for the Christian, and sanctification is when Christians who are already saved, uh, they grow in Christ-likeness. They become more like Him. And that process of maturing, that will not end until we see the Lord Jesus face to face um, on the eve of his crucifixion, and on behalf of his disciples, Christ prayed what is known as the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, uh, where he makes this request of his Father. He says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. The only means that God has provided for sanctification is the absorption of His Word, sound doctrine through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Uh, it is not. Sanctification is not achieved through other means. Uh, you will not grow more spiritually mature through fasting. You will not become more mature through Christian service, uh, nor even through fellowship. These may all prove profitable as a result of sanctification, but are not a means or methods of achieving it. Sanctification is a ministry of the Spirit through the Word of God. How we become more Christ-like. And since teaching and preaching are the means by which the Holy Spirit sanctifies, uh, those who miss a whole lot of it will find life very frustrating, very futile in a lot of respects, the Hebrew term that we see as preacher, it was discovered in the opening chapter and it's used to describe as the person who calls an assembly together to hear the preaching of the Word of God. He then heralds the message given by God and Solomon opened this book several months ago in chapter 1 by saying, these are the words of the preacher. As we open our Bibles one last time, one final time to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 
uh, we can all know that we have grown through this preaching of Solomon. This is the holy word of God. It, it therefore all is clearly not vanity. It is not meaningless. It is not worthless. And even though Solomon deemed much of his life was wasted and meaningless, God nonetheless has used the failures of Solomon to strengthen and sanctify all of us through the truth. Very often it works that way. Your failures will serve as a means of exhorting others to love and good deeds. Uh, The following passage, beginning in verse 9, contains Solomon's final exhortation, written either by himself in the third person or by a scribe whom he dictated it to. And there we read in verse 9, In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion when all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. The word of the Lord. The preacher taught the people. Faithful preaching of God's word. It is supremely essential for God's people. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, where we find that certain widows were being left out from the serving of daily food, they were not receiving their portion of food, the apostles delegated that very important task, that work, to seven men. But then they also stated of themselves, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, they placed seven men in charge of that very noble task and declared, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That statement, we are told, found approval with the whole congregation. Now, the apostles affirmed that it is not acceptable for widows to be starved of food. But it is further unacceptable that the whole congregation be starved of the word of God. Preachers could not become unduly distracted with other channels of Christian service. The shepherds and the teachers must always arrange their schedules to prioritize prayer and the ministry of the word. Because the lack of these two ministries these two ministries will become devastating to a local church, completely debilitating to the local church. If any man would have the capacity to do all ministries effectively, 
would have been the 12 apostles. But even those who performed many wonders and signs in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, they had to devote their time to prayer and the study of the word uh, for the purpose of preaching the word. Uh, the Apostle Paul passed this same responsibility down to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, and he emphasized the same priority to Timothy. And I appreciate the King James rendering of this verse. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The emphasis in the verse is on the diligent study of the word of God. The same priority is practiced in the Old Testament. One example is Ezra. Uh, that uh, very devout and godly scribe of the Old Testament, who in Ezra 7 verse 9, we are told that he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach God's statutes and ordinances in Israel. So again, we see once again the identical priorities as those who concerned the apostles, there is nothing more debilitating to a local church than when a pastor or teacher becomes willing to neglect prayer and the faithful study and ministry of God's word. Even if that pastor or teacher would prioritize his time to the feeding of widows. Think about that. is a very important, actually essential principle that Solomon himself understood. Uh, he came to eventually devote much time to the study and the teaching of the Word. Verse 9 begins by saying, in addition to being a wise man, the wise man, the wise man in context is he who is called by God to, to write the inspired words of Scripture. We're going to discover in verse 11 the wise words of these men. Uh, they were the collections of sacred writings. They are given by one shepherd. By one shepherd. Uh, that one shepherd who gives these words is God, and that's why shepherd in most of your translations will be capitalized with a capital S. So the wise men are the spirit-inspired writers of prophetic literature. 2 Peter 1 verse 21 tells us that these holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Therefore, in verse 9, in addition to being a wise man, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs, and the preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. In addition to being a wise man, one whom God had called to write Scripture, Solomon also taught the people knowledge. He was a teacher. And he establishes in this passage as a role model for all responsible teachers of the Word of God. Um, he who preaches and teaches... He must ponder, search out, and find delightful words to express 
but when doing so, he must represent the word of God truthfully. Must always represent the word of God correctly. This requires a devotion to teaching God's truth one verse at a time. You've probably heard that somewhere before. But in a manner that is edifying to those who are spiritually regenerated. They have a new mind of Christ. Why would we need to do that? Why would we need to attempt to find pleasant words? Actually, um, words that are delightful. Because Scripture is like a goad. Scripture is like a goad. The words of the wise men are like goads. You know what a goad is? I'll show you in a minute. When our Lord Jesus incapacitated a Pharisee named Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, Christ transformed him. Uh, Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it, Saul? Uh, as a legalistic Pharisee, as a teacher of the law in Israel, Saul had been kicking against everything that the Old Testament had said about Jesus fulfilling the ministry of the Messiah. He was kicking against it hard. And through temporarily blinding Saul, Jesus just pinned him down to the ground. He said, it's been tough, hasn't it? It's been tough kicking against everything that the Old Testament says about me. What the Father of Israel had, had said about sending his sinless son to die for your sins. That had been a very offensive message to Saul that God would have to send his own son to die for Saul's sin. Saul saw himself as a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a righteous man who had lived his life correctly. He, he had quite a resume, we find out in the epistles. He thought he was good. The message that God had to send his son and die because we're actually really, really bad, that's offensive. That is an offensive message. Uh, still today, unbelievers despise the gospel message. They find themselves, uh, uh, they see themselves as good because they maybe give a little money to the poor or because they're a good son or a good parent or, or maybe they gave to charity somewhere and they, they look at themselves, well, I'm a pretty good person. They despise the message that man must acknowledge that through my sins, I've violated God's commands. I am a sinner. I have offended his righteousness so severely that I deserve to go to hell for what I've done. And there's one and only one way the Father has offered for us to be forgiven, and that is through surrendering your lives to the Lordship of Christ and bowing down to worship him. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And there, that means that there exists no other Savior in the world. When, it, when Scripture says, 
or alludes to Jesus as the Savior of the whole world, it doesn't mean he's just forgiving everybody carte blanche. What that means is he is the only Savior available in the whole world. There are no other ways. He's it. He's the Savior of the world. There's no alternative Savior for Southeast Asia. Christ is the Savior of the world. And folks, this makes people think we're in crazy town. It does. They think we're in crazy town. And uh, yet we who are saved, we who are saved just delight in the fact that God has made a path, a narrow path, for us to have our sins forgiven. We delight in that. We sing about it again and again and worship about how wonderful God is in, in opening a narrow path to salvation. How narrow is that path? about the shoulder width of one man. It's Christ alone our hope is found. Folks, the words of the wise men are like goads. They're like goads. Can we have a picture of a goad? This is a picture of a goad. It pokes. It prods, it hurts, especially when you push back against it. Solomon describes the word of God, uh, those words of the wise men, they're like goads. Can they hurt? Can they hurt? Whoa, they can really hurt. Philip Ryken said, a goad is one of the tools of a shepherd's trade, a sharp stick that spurs a stubborn beast to keep moving. It is not designed to injure the animal, of course, but just to inflict enough pain to get its full cooperation. (laughs) That's what a goat is for. Just enough pain to give full cooperation. We can be thankful for that. We can be thankful for this. God's word acts like a goad. It's tough. It's painful. We read in Scripture things like, don't forsake the assembly of the saints. Ow! Ooh, that hurt. Don't love the things in the world. Oh, my. The Easter bunny isn't real. Oh, pastor. Why'd you have to go there, right? The Word of God doesn't say that. Why'd you have to go there? No, but it does state that the day of the resurrection, resurrection day, is all about the glory of Jesus Christ. And God says in his word, he will not share his glory with another. Not even somebody that's really furry with a white fluffy tail. Ah, go and pilfer the Egyptians and their delicious candy-coated eggs. I love those things, but emphasize to your children That resurrection day is all of the Lord. Jesus Christ is risen indeed. We preach Christ. Christians teach the word. But if your life is not compliant, ooh, it hurts. Scripture is like a goad. The words of the wise men, uh, they become painful. They poke. And as a preacher should, Solomon sought out delightful words, but he always represented the word of truth correctly. Folks, the word of truth is painful enough. 
It's painful enough. Um, do you know a pastor who is especially proficient at this? Especially proficient. It's Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg is as skilled as anyone I have ever heard who can be pleasant as he is poking and prodding. Very, very skilled. He speaks the truth honestly, but he slips that sword of the Spirit right into the joint. When he's done, all you can say is, thank you. Thank you. Verse 11 says, the masters of these collections, they are like well-driven nails. They, referring to the collections of Scripture, are given by one shepherd, by God Almighty Himself. You know, seminaries ought to offer a Master of Collections degree. They really ought to. Because the masters of them pound in Sharp nails. They pound in sharp nails that hold fast. They, they never shake loose. To find delightful words that poke like goads is the role of the preacher. It's not easy. It takes a lot of study. It takes a lot of time. Because the goal of the Word of God is never to injure it's not to injure, but it is, it is so the nails will be driven hard and hold fast. Because there are threats to the church who invest a lot of time in attempting to pry nails loose, the Apostle Paul had to warn Timothy, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines we've had to do that right here it's not pleasant no one enjoys doing it yet as paul continued the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith paul also told the corinthians as we heard during our earlier scripture reading since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. But by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We preach Christ. Paul says, remember when we were with you, we didn't preach ourselves. We didn't use the opportunity as a soapbox to boast in self about what we have done and what we have achieved. It's not a place to get crafty with the word of God. Our gathering is not for flattery of speech as men-pleasers, but an opportunity to firmly prod and skillfully drive nails. Thus says Solomon the preacher. In contrast to the biblical model, 
I was taught growing up that the role of the pastor, to, that was to be one who was, you know, to hold people's hands, to, to spend every day coddling the weak, and, or in that denomination, regrettably, she was the one who the congregation hired to visit the sick so that they wouldn't have to be bothered with it themselves. In fact, they would prefer, when I was growing up, that the pastor spend his days searching for widows to feed rather than diligently studying and preparing for Sunday to preach the word of God and drive nails. That is the truth. In fact, the pastors we knew were appreciated most on the basis of how they would refuse to poke and prod and drive nails. The image impressed upon me of a pastor was that his function was to remain noticeably silent on anything that is controversial. But holding hands, visiting the sick, or taking a meal to someone who's in need, folks, those are responsibilities that we all share equally. We all share that equally together. None of us is exempt. You and I share in these ministry obligations. In addition, pastors and elders have a further divine obligation to never neglect prayer and the ministry of the word, even if it were for the purpose of feeding widows. Because the congregation must never be starved of the word of God. Now, before anyone says, I can't believe Pastor John just said that he doesn't care about feeding widows, before you say that, let me further clarify that nobody at Port St. Lucie Bible Church is going to be permitted to go hungry. We've got food over in the other building, all that you can eat. Take some with you if you need. Nobody's going to be permitted to starve. Somebody's has become sick in our congregation, I will gladly take them a meal. I will not hesitate. We have a meal-trained ministry I mentioned earlier with Cheryl Alberino. And if you would like to receive an email to let you know when someone is in need, you'll know the situation. And if you would like to take a meal to a sick person, please see me or Cheryl afterwards. Um, in fact, if you're a member, I think we're just going to put you your email on that list. Because if you're a member here, you want to know when someone is in need. That's just automatic. So we'll just throw your name on the list. I'm sure I'll help you out in doing that. Um, when you get the email, you will get notified. Nobody is forced to participate if it's a bad week. My phone number and my email are in the bulletin. If you're sick or you need help, I want to know. Contact me. Contact the elders. We want to know. And I would urge that each of us at the fellowship luncheon beginning today get to know one another. Discover who one another is. Discover friends who, com who share common interests. Spend time and stay in touch with one another outside of Sunday morning. Share your lives together. Join a home prayer group. 
If able, uh, come on Wednesdays. Get to know people. I will do my part. But I honestly cannot. I honestly cannot by myself monitor every person every week. It's not possible. Take a look around. Just look at each other. What single person could ever keep up with everyone here each week? It's impossible, folks. We have to be a body that functions together. Um, I think you would agree that no single person could ever do that. It takes a whole body to minister to the needs of the church. And if you fall ill or another problem, it's essential that you know we want to help. We want to do that. But we're not mind readers. I urge you to let us know. Give us a call um, so we can help. Uh, we can't sit at home wondering, why is nobody calling me? When we ourselves have not called anybody. We've learned the ministry of the written word is essential. That cannot be compromised. But the words written by man... Nah, not so much. Not so much. In verse 12, in contrast to the Holy Scriptures written by wise men, Solomon says, oh, but beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books, it's, it's wearying to the body. Well, there could be no greater truth than that. Been to a Christian bookstore recently? In chapter 1, Solomon described how he had set out to know wisdom and increase in knowledge. Obviously, in the day bef before the internet, this required him to read a whole lot of books. But there is nothing new being printed today that God did not think his church needed for the last 2,000 years. And his church has been just fine. Solomon discovered, after all of his investigation, that there is nothing new under the sun. And many resources today offer benefit. There are historical and theological resources that give great insight. And they have enormous value. But most of the works in the Christian bookstores that you will find, and in that mailing that goes out from Christian book distributors, most of the books could be thrown in the trash and the church would be all the better. It would be all the better. There is nothing new being printed today that God didn't think the people needed 2,000 years ago. I used to have about a dozen books on my shelf uh, about evangelism. You know what I needed? A one-page letter that just said, just go out and do it. I've read so many goofy things about prayer over the years that people have proposed. Instead of another book, people just need to get down on their knees and start asking God that he might give them the strength to obey him. Quit reading about it and start doing it. We generally don't need to read another book about the Bible. We need to read the Bible. It's the only printed form that transforms us into the image of Christ. 
And besides, the, ex- the excessive devotion to books, says Solomon, it's just wearying. It's just wearying. You know, reading, reading can be very profitable. I read quite a lot. Um, some people need to read broadly for their occupations. I personally know some seminary professors with massive libraries that are very highly educated. But I have discovered that highly educated people who read extensively, they are not generally more compassionate. They're not generally more kind. They're not generally more spiritual than our Christians who are completely illiterate. Sanctification comes through the word of God. Not other sources. Those who read extensively beyond scriptures are generally not more aware of their character flaws. They're not generally more patient with others. They're not generally more humble than others. But sanctification comes through the word of truth. The word is truth. Therefore Solomon writes, beyond the Bible, my son, beware, beware, there's going to be a judgment, and the conclusion when all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Everything. But we know all is not vanity then. We've already been told. Every act, good or evil, will be brought to light. God is going to judge the world, folks. We read about it a little bit, discussed it a little bit in the Revelation study this morning in Bible Life Group. A judgment of wrath is going to come. God has made himself known through the, straight, through the sacred writings of wise men, and there, therefore we do know that everything matters. Everything matters. God will bring every act to judgment, and everything which is hidden will be revealed, whether good or evil. Solomon says it all matters. Everything matters. He closes by saying, you had better be ready for that day. Are you ready for that day? The Son of God is going to return. He is going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he is going to render a final judgment. Well, that's going to be a pretty important day, folks. Really important day. The most important day of our lives. Apart from giving your life to Christ. The New Testament refers to this day as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And that is going to be our next sermon series through First and Second Thessalonians, set to begin October 17th. The day of the Lord. Like other wise men of the Bible, Solomon has written to prepare us for that day. And the Apostle Paul also wrote the church in Thessalonica, so that all will be prepared when they hear the sound of the trumpet 
when the sun, moon, and the stars are darkened, and the sign of the Son of Man shone in the sky. Again, that series is going to begin October 17th. Between now and then, we've got four Sundays. Four different Sundays, we're going to have four different topical messages from four different preachers. And we're going to prepare uh, for the fall that comes. Um, I encourage you over the next four weeks to come in. There's going to be some good stuff uh, in preaching. So, Then we will start 1 Thessalonians, October 17th, the day of the Lord. Let's pray.